life is short. So you only have so much time. I could die tomorrow. I mean, if I die today, am I confident? I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. But if you asked me this like 10 plus years ago, it wouldn't be the same way. That's what I thought when I hit 30. I'm like, if I'm not doing it now, I'm never going to do it. Connor is a transgender man of color, a veteran of the U.S. Navy. He served in law enforcement. These days, he works in IT and DJs at local bars on the side. He lives in Sacramento, California, with his wife, Brooke. Connor's charming, passionate, and quick with a joke. My name is Graham High. I'm a straight white guy. After the 2016 U.S. presidential election, I realized that there was plenty of talking and not a lot of listening, especially from people like me. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm just a guy who wants to understand people who are different from me, who live lives that aren't like mine, people like Connor. Please note that our conversation includes profanity and discussion about sexual abuse. This is Straight White Guy Listening. We want to get to know who you are, so if you don't mind telling us kind of your story, you know, maybe where you grew up or family or, you know, what kind of brings us to today? Uh, well, geez, that's a probably a long story. Um, I, I grew up, well, this, you're... I don't know if you're in Sacramento. I grew up in North Highlands, uh, which is uh, probably about 10 miles away from where we are right now. Uh, I'm the youngest child of a family of, uh, let's see, uh, two older siblings and a single mother. Uh, she worked at McClellan Air Force Base at the time, so I uh, <laughs> kind of learned uh, how people socialize and, and, what, and whatnot in that neighborhood. But Fiddle, well, North Highlands actually was very blue-collar, very diverse, or mostly black, white, Hispanic uh, population. So what was growing up like for you? Clearly, I, I think I learned early on that I was very different uh, from other kids. I th- think I had an, an establishment of myself before I realized I had an establishment, like an, an understanding of who I was. I remember a very short period of going through like multiple identity crises I guess like I wouldn't be called by a different name and it was always a male name it wasn't it was never like I'm, I want to be Tabitha it was always a, a masculine name and I, I think I put my my mother through a lot of that I'm like, she's like I'm just trying to keep up I don't understand like later on once I got through junior high I kind of I went by initials because that was easy um that was easy to like identify. It was easy for people to figure out who I am. And plus, my name wouldn't get messed up because I had a I didn't have the, the same name then as I do now. My name back then was very difficult to say, and everybody would mess it up, and that irritates me. So, <laughs> so I just went by initials. And then I think once I got into like junior high, high school, I started learning more about my sexuality and how I try to identify, or at least try to. I guess fit in 
or I don't, I don't want to say comply, but it's pretty close to that. Um, and then after high school, I didn't, I didn't, I went to, after high school, I went to the military, and then after the military, I started, once I got a more established understanding of myself and where that was coming from, I just started transitioning. So it sounds interesting about names and everything, that you tried on different names. Uh, is a name a very strong part of your identity? Well, I, I think that had to do more of trying to get comfortable in my own skin. I, I had to deal with some sexual abuse when I was about six or seven mm. for a few years. So I think part of that was not trying to deny that it happened. It's just trying to close the door on it so it doesn't happen again. So that's, I think that's what started me changing, like, call me by this name, call me by T.J. Hook, call me whatever, whatever the name I chose at the time or wanted to be identified as because I didn't want to stay in, stay in that like kind of dark place of what abuse can take you or where it can take you, actually. So I was like trying to close the door and escape that. It, it, it names identify you, but I mean, you have to consider who's going to call you by that name and how do you call yourself by that name? Like, in your case is Graham. You could say, I don't want to be called Graham anymore. I want to be called Troy. Mm-hmm. That'd be fine. No one, no one would question you because um, you're in the body you are. Me at the time, I, can, I can't say, oh, call me, call me Conrad. You're not Conrad, you're a girl. That, that doesn't fit. Why am I calling Conrad? It's the same way. When did you become Connor, or when did you start seeing Connor as your identity? I became Connor, uh, geez, just before, I think I got to, I got to age 30. And I was, I, 30 was like, not quite a death toll, but I didn't expect to be alive that long. I, at some point, I thought I would commit suicide or die of a heart attack or something. I didn't, I wasn't planning on it, but somehow... Here I am at 41, I'm still alive. So I was like, at thir- I hit 30, I was like, I guess that's a milestone age to be. So I said, let me do something. Let me, I mean, I'm sleeping on my life. So if, I'm gonna, if I die tomorrow, I'm going to die in this body where I don't like being this body or in this in identity, or am I going to take, take advantage of my life? So that's what I ended up doing. At 30, so I started going through, looking, researching the processes and transitioning Seeing, seeing doctors, seeing what, what the criteria was to start transitioning or start taking hormones. And then in that progress is like trying to find out what to do is trying to find a new name. Because uh, KJ was too close to my birth name. And it wasn't, it wasn't a male name. I, I wanted a very masculine, sturdy name which is why I chose Connor. And actually, I, I kind of pulled a bunch of friends. I'm like, what do you think about what do you think this spelling? What do you think about that spelling? What name would suit me? And then I had a very good friend that I've known since, oh my God, junior high, or even before, like elementary school, that she, her and I had collaborated and decided on my name. I've been Connor ever since. Great. So it sounds like you had a community of friends and some people that were helping you with the transition process. Some people were, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think it's, it was more about transitioning and being able to find a way to adapt, I guess, to other people. Um, because growing up, I mean, I could be assertive as a black woman, but, or I can be seen as angry 
for having an opinion. So I think it's, it's for lack of a better term, kind of like whitewashing, but not really, uh, to where you're trying to find a safe path in moving in your life and, and just not, have, not creating too many ways, but being able to just walk in your own shoes comfortably without a whole lot of issues, which is very hard to do nowadays. So I think I want to clarify. So you're saying like as a black woman with an opinion, it's different from being an assertive man. Is that the whitewashing that you're talking about? No, not not necessarily. Not necessarily. I I think what I'm trying to say is when you're any woman of color, if you have an opinion, if you raise your voice, if you defy whatever means that, uh, I guess, the, the good old boys, if you will, or whatever standard it is, you're seen as angry or you're seen as confrontational or resistant or militant even, which isn't the case. It's just you have an opinion. You have a voice and you're using it. Uh, whereas me being a black man now or even black man-ish, if you want to say that, it's not seen as angry. Well, it probably is to some extent still seen as angry or sort of. It's seen as, oh, well, your opinion matters. We, we're listening to you. As a woman, it's deaf. It falls on deaf ears. So it's, it's, I think where you're, it sounds like you're asking if I have sort of a privilege in it. I do and I don't. Um, there is somewhat privilege to having your voice heard, but there's not a privilege as far as how people see your color. Mm. It, it's still the same. I mean, it's still like um, denied in some way. As far as speaking as like the black female experience and the black male experience, mm-hmm. I mean, you've kind of seen both parts of it, but you're still experiencing the black that's, identity. That's not going away anytime soon. I mean, I can't wash this off. Yeah. I can't take this off and put on another color. It's the color I'm born with. Mm-hmm. As far as that, though, you've had, do you feel more empowered as a black man, or is it, no? No. I like that? Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure if you, if you know what's going on today. It's Minorities of any color are pretty much targets. It's, no one is safe, no matter if you're a black woman or a black man. So it's not like, there's no real privilege I'm still a target as much as a black woman would be. I'm still a target as much as a trans woman would be of any color. Minorities are seen, are always seen as minorities, no matter what they do. They could be CEOs of companies. They could be president. So everybody else, they're still lesser than that. So uh, can you talk more about that, the being a minority in America and what that feels like? I was not really very good at making friends. I'm very shy and very introverted. Shocking, I know. <laughs> but when I did try to make friends when I was a kid, it was mostly with, one, I think it was like one or two black families near us, and, but surrounded by white families. So when I did make friends with white kids, I'd be have a good time with them playing around, recess, whatever, one day, and then the next day they recite a joke that their parents taught them, like, oh, like some racist N-word joke. It still happens in its own sort of way, whether it's just meeting people in a bar, at work, just driving around, any time. It, it only takes that like one little glimmer, that one little bit to sort of piss you off all over again. And, you're, and then you think to yourself, why is this still happening? Why? Who's the, who's the real problem? Is it me or is it them? What were they taught? Because clearly it started at home 
based on when I was a kid, like hanging out with kids, that their parents taught them something and then it still festers and continues. It, it's, it's almost like a virus. Like I can tell you a racist joke and you think, aha, it's funny. But then you'll tell it to someone else and then it, it'll just grow on and, and you know, mutate from there. How does it usually manifest? Is it as obvious as like a joke? That said to you, that's derogatory? No, it's not always obvious. It could be microaggressions. It could be racial appropriation. It could be a slur, an insult, a, a, a disregard of, another, of a human, another human being. It could be anything. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not always a joke, though. I find that it's easy to be like, oh, it's those people over there doing something. But, you know, a blind spot that, you know, that... Oh, I don't tell racist jokes. But I'm going to tell one anyway. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm not racist, but I'm a, I don't like black people, or I, I think black people are lazy. It, it, it's, that's what I mean by microaggression. You, you think in your mind that you're not doing any fault, but you actually are. Saying, for example, if someone else gets passed over for a promotion, or you get passed over for a promotion, that you felt that you deserve you in your body, you white male, I have to work twice as hard to get what you have, no matter, what's, no matter what industry I work, whether it be IT, food service, business, I have to do twice as much, twice as fast, twice as hard for you to get, just to get the, a placard on the wall of my name, to even get like a, just a, a, look, a look in the eye from the CEO or, or the boss or whatever, supervisor. People of color have to prove themselves to the utmost in fact, just to walk into court sometimes. If they're charged with, if they're charged with a, like a criminal charge, they have to prove everything on the reasonable, have all the evidence in hand, have the best lawyers, etc. For, I don't know, let's say robbery. Meanwhile, there are CEOs for banks that are stealing from other people. They get a slap on the wrist. People are getting shot by cops, and the cops are walking off scot-free. It still happens. It just, it just breaks my heart. And it makes me angry. Yeah, I can see that. So it seems like there is a lot more working against you, and then also that there's, the consequences are a lot higher mm-hmm. for anything that. So you're working harder, and every time that something doesn't go right, it knocks you five steps back. And then you have to work twice as hard just to get back to where you were, where you wanted to be. Uh, yeah, that's pretty hard to hear. Well, yeah, there, are, there are a lot of people like that that are trying to get better. Say they're in jail right now, and they're trying to go out and get rehab or rehabilitated or better themselves. It, it's like it fails them before they're even out. Some are lucky. Some are able to do that. But there's some that actually make a, a, a hard-earned try, and they end up with a, you know, a parking ticket or something that sets them right back in the system. Say, for example, you're like in an abusive relationship, and you want to break that like a cycle of that, like, like a little trigger. You want to step away from that, and you can't because you don't know anything else but that life. Like you don't, you don't know anything else but prison life. You don't know anything else but being in abusive relationships. You don't know anything else but, say, drinking or something like that. Going outside of that cycle, that circle, it's hard to do because it's scary, uncharted. Hmm. Especially in this day and age. I, don't ma- I imagine you're not nervous when a, a police officer rolls up behind your car. No more than just the usual, like, am I going to pay a speeding ticket? I could have my registration, insurance, everything up to snuff, and I still, I mean, I could, I could not even be speeding, but I still get a little 
I guess, twitch, if you will. I get a little, little tight on the wheel when there's a police officer around me. Uh, not that I'm afraid. I mean, I used to work in law enforcement. I understand what they have to do. But, like, I could be pulled over for, you know, a, a minor violation, and then it could turn into death. One, like, a 15-second interaction can turn into life or death for any minority, male, female, otherwise. So that means that life didn't matter. That life just, you know, washed away. It could be a homeless person in Riverside. It could be a guy selling loose cigarettes in New York. One less. That, you know, that it just, it just kind of, it's kind of twofold. It's, one, that life didn't matter. That life didn't exist. That life can be easily replaced. Two, it, it, it kind of boldens a positive reinforcement of what law enforcement is doing that it's okay. Murder's okay, you know. Assault's okay because you have a badge and a gun. If I, I, at one time, I did have a badge and a gun. If I shot you, I'd be in prison. If you shot me, you'd have a paid vacation and then still have the job. I could drive down the street and have my registration insurance available, pat, 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 that's it. Paid vacation for you. Certain people are lionized for their crimes. Like if you, if you, got, if you got assaulted by a law enforcement or shot or whatever, they'd show, I'd say, your high school graduation picture. If I got shot, they'd find whatever mug shots, any, gun, any pictures of me holding guns, weed, drugs, hitting somebody, anything they could find to demonize me as a person, as a human being. Well, he deserved it. That's what media's telling you. That's what everybody's telling you. You're good. I'm bad. If I got arrested, I'm the bad one. I deserved it. I asked for it. You got arrested. Well, give him a chance. Give him a second try. Give, let, him, let him rehab. Let him... Let him get better. He'll be better. He'll be fine. He didn't know it. He, he's just blown off steam. If I'm doing the same thing you've done, it's going to be spun a different way. I'm stealing it. I must have robbed somebody. I'm up to no good. It's ve- I think this is very deep-seated and well-taught for centuries. It has to stop. So what, why don't we see... I mean, is, are we, is it just inconvenient for us, or are we... Uh, I mean, maybe that's a question for me to answer. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Uh, it seems like you you see it so clearly because you live it. Um, I guess I'm trying to say for people like myself, how can we adjust our our perception to help or to at least just be aware of what's going on? I really, I could, I think sometimes I could tell someone, tell them boo in the face how they can adjust and be an ally and be more aware and be more woke, but it might fall on deaf ears and you're like, oh, okay, and go back to whatever, whatever is safe for you. I, I think, I think the hard thing is actually learning yourself and changing something about it that a lot of people aren't ready to do or, or aren't able to do that. Because I don't know if you've ever been through therapy, but the, the bulk of the work is when you go through therapy is really looking at yourself and seeing for yourself who you are and what you do. And you make a decision if you want to change it. And if, if you want to change it, are you willing to do the, hard, the work that it, you need to do to do that? But it's the same as you asking, well, what can we do? Well, what can you do? I don't think that's up to me to ask her. That's give it up to you. 
It's up to you if you want to do something. I can tell you, be more woke, go to the library, volunteer, be more of a human being. That choice is yours. There's a large ally movement, but there's not always understanding. And there's a lot of sometimes ignorance even among well-meaning people. I think maybe you can shine some light on the growing allied community, but some things that we don't quite understand, even between the LGBTQ. Mm. A lot of people want to party. A lot of people want to be black when it's, until it's time to be black. A lot of people want to party with the gays until it's time to be gay. I mean, we're good enough to hang out with you. We're going to be like basically accessories in your life. How do I put it? Uh, bachelorette parties and gay bars. We're accessories. We're good enough to hang out with you. But, you know, our, our rights, our struggles, you don't want any part of it. You just want to keep partying. So there's allies who actually fight for it and call congressmen and write letters and whatnot. Or there are people who are just standing in for face and waiting for the party to start. Which one are you? People, people say that, that they're against trans people or they're against gay people, but they don't really know any trans or gay people. It's outside of their norms. So they, they don't want any exposure to it. They don't want to see themselves in another gay or trans person. Because that's a human being. I mean... I, I can't really say, oh, I hate white people, but, you know, there are some traits about white people that are just like me, some traits about black people that are just like me. We're all human. We're blood and heart, everything. But, I mean, I, I get that there's, there's people that want to be allies and, and fight, but I think some people are going about it the wrong way. I think your word accessories is very strong and it's appropriate, uh, especially in social media age where it's kind of easy to mm -hmm. take a picture or be like, you know, it's... hashtag whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you do your part and you look like a open-minded person. Mm -hmm. So kind of taking that next step and seeing the LGBTQ community as humans, mm -hmm. you know, more than just like an accessory. Uh, I mean, that will take a lot more empathy or a lot more work, I guess, than just showing up, doing some hashtags. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, don't complain about gays when you're in a gay club. <laughs> that's, that's like going to Walmart and, and talking about you hate low prices or something like that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so you, you, you've heard people go into a gay club and party and then oh, be yeah. homophobic? Quite a lot, Yeah. But they don't realize they're in the gay, the gay nightclub. Mm. At least have respect for your environment. Gay people are not there to do your makeup and give you, you know, hairstyle tips and fashion ideas and all that. They're just out for a drink, just like you. Having a good time in a safe space. You're taking up space in our safe space. Which why? I'm mean, like, respect the environment. You're welcome here but be respectful, you're not entitled to everything. Being a, a trans man, you have a very, you're very masculine in a way, and I'm kind of curious about 
if these are traits that you already had, the way you carry yourself, or if this is how your identity is Connor and who you are today. Because, uh, I mean, you just have a very, you're like, very dudish, you know, to say. Dudish. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, you, I you try not to do. be douche bro about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I really try hard not to do. It. But yeah, I mean, I, I've well before I transitioned, I was very, I was very butch, butch lesbian, like ah, stud like, and but then, well, so it, so it's kind of in my masculinity, as you see, it's very innate. It's always been there. Um, I'm just expressing it in a different shell. Uh, I think people see it as privilege, but to me, it's not. I don't see it as privilege. It's just me being me, me living my life. So I don't. So I haven't jumped off a bridge some, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I've always been masculine as far as I can remember. Um, if there was any sort of femininity that died a long time ago. Uh, but I also don't forget where I come from. And I try to remember the female or feminine side of mine as, as opposed to being all gung-ho and being a douche and an asshole and whatnot. You're definitely not. Well, I try not to be. I can be, though. <laughs> well, I think we all can be. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, too. But that's an interesting idea, though, like keeping a part of your past. And I realize if, if you change gender and then maybe you just lose what happened before or you keep a little bit to think back on. Well, some people, some people, it's, I don't know, inside their head, but some people transition kind of want to like kill that, close the door, lock it, burn it in fire, which is understandable. Um, there are probably some memories or some circumstances in that life that you don't want to look, look back on again. But there are some things that can benefit me in, in some way that I keep that somewhat alive. But everything else can burn to the ground. So I think some people have their way of transition. Some people have another way. So it sounds like a new life when you transition. It sounds like a, this is a new person on the planet. Not Yes and no. It's not so much a new person because that person's always been inside. You just haven't brought it all the way out. I told my mother, like, I'm the same person. It's just a different shell. It's not feminine. It's not woman. It's manly. It's masculine, as you say. It's male. The child's still there. Um, The person that you brought into the world is still there. But the whole different way of, of me walking my own shoes through life. You get a real good idea of who your friends and family are. And, and if your family drops off, your actual blood family drops off, then your friends become your family. Mind if I ask you about your family? My, the only one in my family I'm really close to is my brother because uh, he's been very consistent. He's actually one of the only male, one of the few male figures that have been very consistent in my life. I don't know my father. I know my father. I never met him. Um, I, what stories I heard about him were not very ideal. Uh, my mother, we don't, actually, we don't talk much, not because of, trans, of the transition, but more, <laughs> more because I, I, I got a DUI and she got really judgmental about me about it, but that woman drank more than I can ever remember. Uh, I have a sister I haven't spoken to in well over, oh gosh, well, well over since I transitioned. Um, because the sexual abuse I dealt with was from her son's father. So, and once I, before I started transitioning, I was like, I was trying to uh, like kind of clean the slate, as it were, like mentally. Like this is my, these are my issues. 
I'm letting you know, clearing them out, clean slate, start everything, not start everything over, but start as Connor. I didn't really talk to my mother about the sexual abuse that I was going through. I mean, how do you talk to your mother about that? Um, so I really couldn't talk to her. It was, there was enough difficulty with talking to her about being lesbian, let alone telling her to transition. But I couldn't really tell her. You can't really tell her that at seven. Like, I mean, I didn't really know. I touched on it like a bit when I was seven. And even when I lived as a lesbian, it was still kind of knocking in the back, like kind of in the back, like this, don't, don't deny this. It's still you. And even when in my adult life, I, I, I couldn't, you couldn't really transition at the time in the military. I mean, you had to be born male or female. You couldn't get hormones or anything like that then. So that was, I, it, I had to basically kind of shutter it down until I finally felt free and clear to do so. And then once I started, I, it's kind of blew the doors away on it. Mm-hmm. So you felt this as early as seven years old, some kind of idea. Yeah, because, um, because once, once the abuse happened, I, it was kind of weird. I thought if I were a boy, this would not happen to me. This wouldn't be happening if I were a boy. He would not have any interest in me if I were a boy. And I think that never let go. Wow. I'm really sorry about uh, that. I, I didn't tell anybody about it until before I transitioned. And I told my, I told, unfortunately, I told my family in an email. And my brother was pissed off. But I was like, don't worry about it. He's an old man. He can't hurt me anymore. It's already done. Uh, my sister was mad at me for, I guess, casting a dispersion on her son's father. You're hermaphrodite. You're bipolar. You're a freak. That's why I don't talk to my sister anymore. So whenever my sister and I were fighting, my mother would always take her side. So then I felt like I didn't matter in the family anymore. So I was like, you know, I'm out. I, so there's that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for opening up. No, I mean, that's, I know that's a, that's a lot to unpack there. Well, you wanted to unpack it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm so curious. I mean, you, you thought clearly, like, this wouldn't happen if I was a man mm-hmm. or a boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like that was something that was part of you from an early time. I mean, uh, is that kind of the culmination, the beginning of everything that's kind of brought you here? Yeah, I think that was like the little, little fireball, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. The longer I didn't, do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I guess the longer I didn't listen, the more I ignored it. It just got to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I think at some point I was in, I actually wanted to do it earlier. I wanted to do it before 30. I wanted to do it around, probably around 23, 24. Uh, and I was dating someone that did not want that at all. I don't know if you've been in that situation or in that frame of mind where you're at a point in life where you don't want to be alone, so you end up sacrificing yourself for the benefit of not being alone. So I I didn't do it then. I didn't even look into it then. And then I got into another relationship where it was almost the same way. And I was like, okay, you know what? If that's the case, then you do you. And I'm just going to, I hit 30. I was like, life or death, now or never. 
if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So, and I, and I think that's like, it's like part of that little fireball and then just like, just not really, just not caring about being alone because how else am I going to get comfortable myself if I don't take these steps? It sounds like it was really dire for you, right? I was, I was about to, I was about to kill myself because at the time my mother had a stroke and she was telling, my mother was telling me in an email that I was not, I never, she never trusted me. I was not a good daughter, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, my family doesn't want me. My girlfriend I moved for and like checked out my life for doesn't want me. And I got this, and look, there's a huge handle bottle of Cuervo tequila. I'll go drink that all down. No one will care. I have not, at the time I had no money, no place to go. It felt like no friends, no family, no community, nothing. So I, it was Christmas, Christmas Eve, and I, I happened to hear the phone ringing, and I thought it was dreaming. I, I thought it was dead. I thought it was like gone. And I, had, I hear the phone ring, and somehow I get up and answer the phone. It's my mom saying, I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry. <sighs> so, yeah, it was, it was pretty dire. Because that's the the closest I've thought about suicide before. That was the closest I've actually gotten to actively trying to kill myself. At the time when I went military, it was like '94, and it was witch hunt central for gays and lesbians then. So I made up this fake girlfriend, and I'm stuck in the in a barracks with 90 plus women like made up this fake girlfriend like so like no one would be bothered no one would be threatened or whatever but people always people always were it didn't matter there's always there was always one person that's homophobic or scared or there's always one so to make them feel less threatened you acted like you were already in a relationship and like i'm not interested don't worry about it well yeah because you're, you're yeah you're in a barracks you're in like open bay everything Open bay beds, open bay shower, open bay bathroom. You see everybody naked. Like I don't want just I don't even look at anybody. I just came in, shower real quick, out. And then they would get they would complain about to our, our CO that I wasn't washing myself enough or I was staring or I was looking or anything. Anything they could say. A lot of it wasn't true. I didn't really care about that. I'm there to do get into boot camp, get out boot camp, go to my duty station. So it seems like a Pretty big decision to go into the military. I mean, especially. I mean, was there any reason that brought you to to the military? College. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to educate myself. That's the only way I could pay for it. I didn't. I might. My. I'll show you pictures later. My, my teeth were really bad back then. They were crowded and snaggle toothy. So I, that's that was also the only way I can get braces was the military. How else? I mean, it's the only way I became, I guess, an adult, so to speak. Because mom wasn't going to help, so. You're self-made. In a way. I like to think so, but I can't say hard work got me to the 16th floor. I mean, it, hard work keeps, keeps me alive. So, so you're very busy. I don't know if you could walk us through like a day or a week of the life of Connor, because it seems like you've got, you know, you're a DJ. I mean, all the things that are you. I can walk you through about a, a month. I mean, I have my day job. I try, I'm supposed to be doing part-time until I have my surgery in July, uh, my top surgery. And then I have my night job as a DJ at 
at Depot or Badlands. And then I have my side job also as a DJ for uh, roller derby bouts and tournaments, depending on if it's here or out of town. So I kind of have three, three part-time jobs. That's impressive. That's a lot. It's very tiring. So <laughs> you mentioned your top surgery. I mean, that's pretty big. You said July? Yeah, July this year, finally. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. A little scared, but very excited. So what does that entail? Uh, from what I understand, it's basically removal of my breasts uh, and forming a, actual, a masculine male-looking chest area. I'll have scars, but I'll be flat-chested and beer-bellied, but I'll be able to not wear a binder anymore after the surgery. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. That's great. So would this be the first surgery that you've done? or It'll likely be the only surgery. The only? Uh, I could get bottom surgery. I, I, actually, I actually wanted to do, I wanted to get a histo done a couple years ago, but my insurance wouldn't pay for it because I was going through the process of being transgender. Uh, but I was, that was work insurance. But now this can be covered by Medi-Cal, which I'm grateful for because I don't have like six or $8,000 at my disposal. Um, but yeah, I could do bottom surgery. Uh, I've... Don't find it realistic uh, because I'm a black man and I'm sure should I be with someone who is not aware that I'm trans, I, I, I don't think they'd be enthused about seeing a five-inch black penis. I like to be, I'm a nine-incher. I'm, I'm kind of, I like to be girthy in more than one area. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <Jesus> <laughs> can't take myself seriously with that. Uh, that's funny. He's like, I can't. No, I can't. No. I can't. <laughs> but seriously, though, no, I, I, I could do Bob's surgery, but it wouldn't, it doesn't look, it doesn't, well, at the time when I looked at it, it doesn't, it's, it's, some surgeries are more catered for, more catered uh, for white trans men than black. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean you can, maybe you can be okay with a five-inch penis. I can't, I, it's, it's too, there's too much stereotype behind that. Mm-hmm. Let's, it, it's, some people prefer to be top and bottom, like authentic, like as authentically male as they can be. Uh, like I said, like that's why I say it, it's more toward white males because you can do that. Um, there are some black males that do. I don't know of any, but there are people in community or in the trans male community that, that discuss it with other trans males and what they should do or what should, like where do you, where do I go for shots? What surgery? Who should I get surgery from? How do I you know find therapy? Things like that. I mean, there is a small community about it. But not everybody has, not a whole lot of people have access to such a community, depending, especially if they're living like, I don't know, like Muncie, Indiana or something like that. In like rural Midwest, they probably don't have that access. When you're getting into a relationship with someone and they see you as a black man, how does that usually go as far as you tell them up at the top, like, hey, this is my situation, uh, right at the beginning. Right, yeah, I have to. Yeah. Um, I have to for my safety and theirs. Uh, because there there have been too many incidences by, or again, against trans women that they tell and then they end up dead. So I, I put that out in the gate. Like, this is what's going on. You could pass go or go somewhere else. And you can't say you didn't, they didn't tell you because I didn't told you. What would you want to say to just like the a white man uh i mean i kind of want to open that up and see if i don't know if you want to because it might get a little physical <laughs> <laughs> i almost want to if i could i'd freaky friday a bunch of people 
and just put them in a life of that's completely opposite theirs. Like, put you in a homeless person's body and see what you do. Or, no, a, a, a girl in Africa. It'd be nice, but I can't do that. It's kind of frowned upon. <laughs> um, be respectful to women, children, other people. Just be respectful. Be a human being. Know that the world's not all about you. And there are other people inside this world besides you. You're not entitled to anything. You're not guaranteed anything but life and death. Hmm. On the other side of that, someone that is uh, thinking about coming out or transitioning, uh, someone that's in a hard place right now, and you've come through a lot of difficult things, and you speak with a lot of wisdom. Can you impart any wisdom to someone that may be listening that is struggling with some of the same things or grappling with some of the same ideas? No one is going to live your life but you. In my experience, so if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. Because you're, you're going to find any, any excuse possible in the book to do it, to not do it. Because you're afraid of being alone or you're scared or you don't have the money, whatever. There are people that may have a lot less than you, but they're still living their lives. There's no reason why you shouldn't either. When I started taking hormones, it didn't, no, it, it's really weird. It didn't, it was frustrating that it didn't happen overnight, but once it did happen, it was like that quick. Um, like it took about a month or two, about three months of taking hormones every two weeks for anything to actually change physically. <laughs> I, I think I remember I was like looking at myself in the shower and the, the apartment I lived was a light in the shower. So I can see the hair grow in, but it was growing in blonde. And I was like, oh, just staring at myself. And I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. And like, this is, the chest hair is blonde, and then the next day it's black. Um, and I think, I, th I remember, I, I think I had my birthday. My birthday was, in, of course, in May. And I think that May, that May when it started, I cried like a, oh my God. Just like cried like, like, a, like a boy in the shower because I was so happy. Because I finally started. Um, my ID says female, but I make I think I make sure that my name matches my ID. Because I don't think they really in, in my book I have to I have to put female because I haven't changed that. Um, because as a black man, I consider being arrested at any time. And the time I got pulled over for my D, my first and only DUI, I was like put me with the females because I'm transgender. Because if you put me with the males. I'm going to get raped and assaulted and I'm not having that because then that's a whole lawsuit that you don't have money and time for. I was trying to date and start transitioning at the same time, which is not recommended uh, because the hormones are in battle constantly until one prevails. And I mean, it didn't, it didn't take long for my T, my testosterone to out, out, outnumber my estrogen. I had a really bad take once there were, um, we went out uh, drinking, and I, we, I took, we took her home. 
I was completely every dude in high school that you like get down with, like just wants to do it right away. And I was that same guy, like, come on, let's go, let's do it. We're gonna do it or not, let's go. And she's like, are you gonna calm down? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry, sorry, let me. I was not very, uh, I, I guess, socialized, I guess. You're adapting to the change. You, I mean, you see yourself change, but you don't see how people see you through the change. And then you have to like, oh, oh shit. And you're like, you have to kind of find the, where you can cross the line and where you can't, what you can do and what you can't. I wasn't aware of my changes through other people's eyes because I was still using the female bathroom. And then a temp worker had asked my supervisor, why is there a guy in the women's bathroom? And I was like, oh, oh, shit. Okay. I, and they're like, we need you to use the men's bathroom because now you're trying, you know, if you, and that was out, like, this is my name, what I'm going to do. And I gave them, like, all these pamphlets and education, everything I could possibly do to make their life easy so I can, my life would be easy at work. Um, I just got out of school and the job I have now, they, were, when, they wanted to hire me on full time. And I was like, well, I got surgery coming up. So I'm like, what kind of surgery? I'm like, and I told them everything they knew. It was like, this trans surgery. I'm no good to anybody for a while. I'm, trans, I'm transgender. They're like, oh, 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 okay. Okay, well, well, in that case, let's, let's have you part-time. I'm like, that's cool with me. As long as you know, I'm telling you know, right, right, same as dating. But you know from the gate, this is what you're dealing with. I got appointments and whatnot, so. So do you find it's about half and half people that are supportive and understanding and half that don't get it, or? Well, people are supportive, and, and there's the other half that they can't do anything about it. So you can be supportive, that's great, and if you're not supportive, that's okay, too. I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still going to do this whether you like it or not. This is for my life, not yours. You're not paying my bills, you're not feeding me, you're certainly not fucking me, so until you do any of those three things, you have no say in what I do. Unless you pass a law or something. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you have to take tea like once a month or twice a month? or Twice a month. Every two weeks. I used to self-inject, but I had, <laughs> I guess, issues trying to put a needle in my leg. So, mm-hmm. so I, have, I have a nurse inject for me. It's, it's much easier that way for me. I still get my tea. I don't have to watch myself, put a needle in, and hope the needle doesn't break off my thigh. Yeah. Things yeah. like that. You know, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> One time I, I did that was my, my brother, we were, I was waiting to go to a concert and I was like trying to self-eject and I popped in my leg and my, this thigh just clenched. I was like, <gasps> and I pulled it out, real, I waited for it to unclench, pulled it out and I had just blood running down. Mm-hmm. I cleaned up real quick. I was like, never again, never again. Yeah. I mean, you can, you, there's ways you can, you can self-eject. I'd rather not. I'd, I'd, and it's funny, I used, I used to be in medic, medical field. I'm cool putting a needle on somebody else. I, I seem to not be able to do that anymore, putting a needle on me. Yeah. I was all for it. So I was like, yeah, I can do it. And I'm like, oh, complication. Nope, can't do it. Nope, nope, can't do it. That seems fair. Like, you I, could call it then. Yeah. Yeah, I, I called it. I was like, no, no, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you were talking about it earlier, it, it sounded like almost like a second adolescence. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, to, it's totally a second puberty. Before I transitioned, I was only really only in the, in the women. Uh, but then once the testosterone leveled out, I, I, I was like, I'll fuck anything that moves. I don't care. If you're into it, I'm into it. So you know, let's go. But I mean, that's just, that's just really the libido. It, it's just you want to fuck all the time. Um, I, I've, I've calmed it down a bit. 
your libido is higher now still. Mm-hmm. Like it, it topped out, but then it, but it's still it's still pretty high. When like I it's it's not it's not quite ins- insatiable, but it's like I said, I've become I've become every guy that I've even tried to sleep with in, in, in my early days. Just like I oh, do something with this, I can't. <laughs> it's just really bad. You're not 14. You're 18 years old now. Fifty. I'll go with fifty. Fifteen. Fifty. I'm I'm a, I'm a total boy. Mm-hmm. I'm a total adolescent boy sometimes. So I think some of the anxiety and a lot of the heteronormative or cisgender and all that stuff is. What do we say? How do we say it? And uh, labels and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a way to educate yourself, or do you just like be okay to like be educated? Or that's the same as asking a black person how to interact with other black people. You just ask the person. How do you how do you identify? How do you identify as Graham? Uh, how would you like to be called? Would you like to be called he, they, he, she? Yeah. Then I call you he. Mm-hmm. It's that freaking simple. Yeah. You ask somebody. Yeah. Then just ask a, a general oracle to to give you all the ways of how to treat trans people or how to treat. I mean, it's very different. She probably she might might identify as he. I don't know until I ask her, or she says, "Hey, call me he or they." So it sounds like you're saying like all these are the personal preferences of the people, and just engage each person as such respectfully. Treat people like a human being. I'm not your trans friend. I'm your friend, Connor. I'm not your black friend. I'm Connor, your friend. You don't call your brother like, oh, you know, this is my white brother. This is my UPS working brother. Whatever. Whatever he does. You don't call him that. You call him your brother. You don't call your mother this old hag or something. Or, you know, anything derogatory. You just call her what she is. But you know, she, you know, your mother is more than just your mother. She has a job. She has a life. She has thoughts and feelings, etc. Those are those are all a part of her. That doesn't inherently define her entirely as who she is. I think people want to engage and be informed and aware, but they also don't want to offend. Uh, but at the same time, it's like since there are things that are outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little uh, harder to navigate that without mm. seeming ignorant or offensive. Mm, mm. But okay. at the same, but while respecting that, still engaging as a human being, it's up to you to itch yourself. If you want to learn something, you go find a way to learn. You figure the fuck out, basically. If you want to, I mean, really, you, you want to learn something, you read a book. You like, okay, well, let me do some research, do some self research before you expect someone one representative of a whole category generation of people to answer the question for you when you could have Googled it or looked up on Wikipedia or something. You know what time it is? What time is it? Look, you look at your watch. Look at that. (laughs) Now you know what time it is. Do you feel like maybe what we're doing right now is similar to that? Are we putting you on the spot to answer for something? No, no. You're, You're putting... The way I see it, you're putting me on the spot to ask about me, because that's a subject I can talk about. That's a subject I can freely give you all the answers you want to know. If you're putting me, if you're asking me about how to interact with trans people or black people, I can't speak for all of them, and I'm not going to. It gets really tiring after a while when you have a bunch of, like, I mean, I don't mind educating, like, someone doesn't know how, 
one person, but then you have one person after another person after another. Oh, you're the only trans person I know. Maybe you can tell me how to, how do I talk to, how do I talk to my trans nephew or my trans niece, or how do I address them, or how do I, how do I make them feel safe, or how do I love them? You just love them. It, it's that simple. You don't do anything different. You respect their pronouns or wherever way they like to be treated, but isn't the golden rule treat people how you want to be treated, or is that not the golden rule anymore? Is it like a bronze rule? You just treat people like assholes, and then you treat people how you want to be treated. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Do you feel like you are you? Do you feel you are like on the right path? You're feeling in yourself. It's been ten years, so yes. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I mean, that's just as you know myself. I think it's only recently I've started to feel more like myself, mm-hmm. and I haven't done anything as far as big changes. But I mean, I think that's. Being a human, that's one of the hardest exactly. things to do, is just be, be yourself. Right. I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm sure you've realized some things in your life or things you've done that got that got you to that point. Um, life is short, so you only have so much time. I could die tomorrow. I mean, if I die today, am I confident? Mike said, yeah, I'm pretty good. But if you asked me this like 10 plus years ago, it wouldn't be the same way. That's what I thought when I hit 30. I'm like, if I'm not doing it now, I'm never going to do it. You know, like, do you want to be that person right now? Should it, should it end today? I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So what are you going to do with your life? you going to be happy or you can be miserable? Sounds like you found it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I right. mean, yeah, you have to be 100% happy all right, the time. No, no. But I mean, I'm never yeah. 100% happy. Yeah. <laughs> if, if someone's 100% happy, you're like, I don't trust that. Right. <laughs> I don't like you. Right. <laughs> Wrong What's you. wrong with you? <laughs> Something's going on. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I think that's the great journey of being. I mean, I don't want to wax poetic, but I mean, just trying to figure out what drives you, what moves you, and who you are is like something that's. Well, I think I don't. I find I don't want to find myself in the lowest point of my life again. I don't want to be in that space anymore because that's not healthy for me. And it's not healthy for other people. I made steps in my life to make sure I don't put myself in that place again. Again, Because rather than wanting to die, the opposite of wanting to die is wanting to live. And so you found out like how you want to live, it sounds like. If I, even if I died today, mm-hmm. I'm living the best possible me I can be right now. So what does the future look like? Connor, I don't know. I'm getting a little, little sketchy about the gray hairs I'm getting now. I'm like, oh, and I just trying to shave them off real quick so I don't see them again. So I don't know. I, I you know, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll still be married to, to my wife and we'll both be living happy and fat and making enough money to afford a house. Doing, I just doing the things I, I want to do. Doing things I want to do that make me get up out of bed and. Um, I want to make sure she's happy and, and doing things she likes to do. Or, and if she, she can't do it, i got to make sure I take care of her. Five, ten years from now, I'm still going to be Connor. I may be a little fatter, maybe a little grayer, maybe a lot more bolder. I'm still going to be me, though. Straight White Guy Listening is produced by Graham High and Rebecca Breithaupt. To watch a short film of this conversation, or for other episodes, 
please visit our website at straightwhiteguylistening.com or follow us at SWG Listening on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The SWGL team is Morgan Hanner, Jen Lopez, Alexis Schmidtberger, Sunanda, and Brittany High. Special thanks to Connor and his wife, Brooke, for their hospitality and honesty, to Altimeter Films and the Eisenberg Group. All music composed by Pottington Bear and provided by the Free Music Archive. If you'd like to learn more about the LGBT community or to get involved, check out lion-martin.org, transemploymentprogram.org, saccenter.org. Thank you for listening.